You're listening to the Games Review Biz Podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and joining me today are Brandon Sinclair, Jeffrey Rousseau, and Chris Drain. I never know how to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got to say your name. It's like the easiest part of the episode, Chris. I, just, I feel like I have to end on some flourish. But yeah, just, anyway, carry on. As you were. Okay. Well, you can bring the flourish. You can bring the flourish later in the conversation. Um, we are going to be talking about 2023 in review. Um, this is kind of our big year-end podcast, looking at back at the biggest stories and trends that we've seen in the games industry. Over the past year, we're going to try and keep this to relatively an hour, which means there's going to be a lot of topics we try and cover. Um, we may not be able to go in in as much depth of as all of all of them, um, but I think we've done a pretty damn good job of covering them on the site. I mean, looking back, it's it's been quite an eventful year. Like just off at of the top of my head, the things like we can potentially talk to, about today is obviously the big one is the the dichotomy between the number of layoffs and the number of big successful games that are out there. You've got, you know, like big games like, you know, Hogwarts Legacy, Zelda, Baldur's Gate 3, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. That's not even a comprehensive list. Like, there are just a number of really good games that came out this year. Microsoft Activision Blizzard, uh, that transaction finally closed in October. So Microsoft now owns Activision Blizzard. That was a big thing. Microsoft has had its own kind of, not narrative, but there's been a lot of discourse around Microsoft this year with things like uh, Redfall and the later Starfield and questions asked about the quality of Microsoft's first party titles. You had a Unity, as Brendan put it, shooting themselves in the foot with a shotgun with the runtime fee fiasco. Um, now, obviously, that got resolved, essentially, but I think the the aftermath is still there in terms of whether or not developers are considering staying with Unity. Towards the start of the year, we had a number of studios that were unionising. Um, we've had a, a kind of a, a few steps forward in terms of unionisation in the industry. PlayStation VR 2 launched this year. I'll be honest, I forgot that. Um, but that, that launched this year, so the, we technically had a hardware launch. And uh, obviously there was the whole E3 thing. E3 didn't happen, um, but we had some sort of a summer showcase. I think there have been plenty enough discussions about whether or not we'd need a summer showcase. To start us off, though, I kind of wanted to revisit a piece that Chris, you wrote in January, January 25th, 2023. The headline of this opinion piece is, The games industry isn't in crisis, it's a reality check. How do you feel about that now? Well, I just glanced back at the piece. I think the piece is fine. I think, though, we just need to change the word isn't um, uh, to uh, sort of is. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the point being that, uh, you know, there's, there's still a growing and exciting and vibrant industry that's heading in the right direction. I think I still stand by. Um, but um, it's interesting because a lot of people have been called um, the sort of layoffs and closures that's happened as a correction. I hate the word, a correction of the games industry, which is it's not an inaccurate term. But it's um, when you think about how much correcting that needs to be done, it it's kind of underplays it. Um, I was sort of when I, I did a piece um, I, uh, recently, which was um, about what is going on with the games industry, and actually it was from a um, I did a um, I did a lot. Of, I looked back on all the studios that opened and all the companies that were expanding and launching new teams during the uh, sort of during the pandemic. They actually started before the pandemic, and it's 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 abs it's like abs it's absurd number. Of the amount of stories, I think we must have done one a week. New AAA studio from makers of League of Legends or Call of Duty or um, Diablo, or it's just constant, it was constant stream of those stories. And some of the teams that were being set up, you know, they were they were um, there were teams that were people who have never made worked, never run a game studio before. There were teams being set up by people that had ideas about culture in the direction of the industry, which is important, vital, even. 
but they didn't actually have an idea about what they were making or what they were trying to build. It was strange. It's a really strange time. And I, I, you can't really criticise these people because if the money's there and the money's being offered, you, you, you take it. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, and it, of course, did lead to a load of more diverse teams being set up. But I, I look at it and you think the amount, and I don't think we're anywhere near done, the amount of students, you know, there isn't that much time um, in the day for people to play all these games. They're all making AAA live service titles. And I just, and, and you just see that we sort of crashed out of the pandemic into a bit more of a reality. Things are looking a little bit like it did three years ago, but the industry has grown so much in that, in those few years during the pandemic that, um, you know, uh, this, this correction is just, it's more, it isn't, it's not, it's not, it's not a reality check, is it? It's a, it's well, a crisis. You're, you're talking, <clears throat> You're talking about these new studios that's, that started up. And, I mean, if you go back and look at our stories from 10 years ago, let's say, as a habit every single month, you'll see that uh, these new studios, like, there's always people, uh, oftentimes, like, billed as creators of Diablo, starting their own studios. Uh, there's, like, an infinite number of them. And most of these studios you never hear from again. I would say, you know, most of the, hey, they started a new studio uh, stories on the site did not have a second story on the site about them. And they just kind of, they quietly, sadly disappear. So I don't, I don't look at that as like a evidence of, oh my gosh, this is, you know, what a terrible situation. What I do look at here though, uh, when we talk about, you know, oh my gosh, it's unprecedented, the, the carnage we've seen in the industry. Uh, in the correction is the big players who are cutting thousands and thousands of people cumulatively um, or even individually. And, and I look at that and I say, okay, well it's yes, it's a correction from a time when there was overinvestment and things were pretty good. But I also think that it's, it's not like any kind of unforeseen unforeseeable thing. Like, the money Epic was pouring into chasing the metaverse in a horribly unsustainable fashion, you know, when they laid everyone off, we saw that and we're like, oh, yeah, the the meta, you, you kind of brought this on yourself. The money meta has burned chasing the metaverse over years, you know, Unity. When they, when they hit the skids after never posting a profit in their entire history, Every, ch every time they had a chance to, they were just like, no, we're going to reinvest in growth. We're going to get bigger and bigger. We're going to run at a huge loss, lose focus. And then we're going to, you know, pull out the runtime fees to try and turn the corner on it. Embracer. E everyone saw Embracer <laughs> coming. It's like, this, this does not happen in a healthy, sustainable way. Like, not every company has that like well you were obviously struggling and that's why you needed to lay off th thousands and thousands of people uh some of it does seem cruel and and some of it does seem unnecessary but a, a lot of these these companies that we're talking about as you know the, the biggest disaster stories of the year really like brought it on themselves in a way that we can't just say there was more investment and then interest rates went up and so this kind of naturally has to happen. Yeah, I mean, I was, I sort of, the reason why I didn't wasn't, I guess I'm thinking ahead because I think the big companies, a lot of them have made their, have made their corrections 
Um, now, hopefully, most of them have. Um, Embrace have still got a long way to go. Um, they, you've got that situation, right, where if you're a public company or a company with, with big shareholders and you've just seen all this growth from the pandemic, you can't, it's really difficult for these sort of businesses to plan for no growth. So you, you, they, they end up over-investing in areas that are new or they see as the next big thing because, you know, that's the thing that will take them out when we go post-pandemic. It can still deliver them, means they can still say, hey, things are still growing, just even though the, the market's gone back down. And um, and then and then obviously the, the, most of that stuff doesn't work out. You know, most of the stuff we're seeing cuts, you know, the unity cuts we're seeing recently and the uh, the cuts at Sega have been cuts to businesses and studios that were trying to do something new, that were trying to expand beyond their, um, you know, the hyenas stuff that Crate Assembly don't make games like that, but they wanted to give it a go. And and when the money was there and the investment was was available and, and the money was free, it, it became possible. But yeah, it's it's a lot of it is... Uh, I think there's an element of lack of, you know, if one thing I'll say is there wasn't much hubris. There was there was too much, um, I don't know, swagger, I guess, self-assurance that we were going to this this huge amongst certain companies, this huge growth was going to maintain. I do know like several CEOs I spoke to interviewed during the whole pandemic time. They were very wary about what was going to happen afterwards. So I know it's not true to say that about every all of them. But there is there is definitely been this. um uh it was overinvestment. I guess I was picking on the smaller, not the, the new studios, the new startups a little bit, because you're in the situation that we're, we're going. I think we're going to see next is all those startup studios that have gone through, who are relying on rounds of funding. We're just sort of League of Geeks, right? Where they, where they, they get a round of funding and then they go back to market and get another round and they go and get another round in order to keep, you know, developing their games and their projects. People are going back to investors and asking, you know, asking for the next round of funding and they're not getting it, and. Those, and those are the studios that are having to start doing work for hire or finding other ways to try and bring in the money um, uh, while they develop these these future projects on, on the side. And I think that's the stuff that's going to start biting next. Um, if I'm going to make a prediction, I know we're supposed to be reviewing the year, but it is just been, you know, as I say, I said it wasn't a crisis, um, but it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It used to be you'd have mass layoffs and then people would be like, oh, well, you know what? That's that's like a controlled burn in a, in a forest or something and, and we're going to get new shoots from it and the people that are laid off will start, start their own thing and you know maybe years down the road we'll wind up with a more vibrant ecosystem as a result um, but yeah like right now I don't I don't know how many how many companies were actually like sustainable enough in their practices to have the money to to invest now or the interest in in investing in in new studios now and anyone that just got cut is if they're looking to start a new studio they're doing it in an environment where there's all these other startups that you mentioned chris that have been there for a year or two and they're they're needing to to go out with hat in hand to get more investment now anyways so it, there's a lot of bootstrapping, yeah. I, I guess for the next couple of years, the word survival has been rough. thrown around quite a bit. I mean, but I say all that, and I in the article I said this as well back in January that it's still a vibrant industry, it's still a growing industry. I do think, you know, it's times like this that innovation rises and uh, new ideas come in, and the the you know it, it's a it's a pretty depressing time, but it, it can, you know, it will pass. I just think anyone who there's a lot of people that were saying, you know, is next year going to be better? I don't think it will. Um, and in fact, I think we're going to see um, difficult headlines well into 2025. Um, but I, do, you know, 
I, I, overall, I think you look at the graph, you look at the industry over the last you know, 20, 30 years, it's heading in a, in a, in a growing, uh, which is what's important from a capitalist and um, business perspective um, way. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Um, and there's, you know, we haven't even touched upon consolidation. We've not touched upon um, uh, uh, what that might mean for the business and changing business models and changing, um, you know, types of games people are playing. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, there's a lot to talk about with all that. And that's the, re- but those, there's times like this that, you know, websites like ours and podcasts like this uh, become important, you know, talking about it and trying to understand it and work out where things are going and supporting each other. Um, exactly. So if you've been listening to this podcast for years now, just hold on a little bit longer. We're going to become important <laughs> sooner or later. But it, one of the most frustrating things about this, this whole year and all this horrible news I think is is that we look at the you know worldwide spend on video games and it's up over last year. It's going to finish the year as like the second best year ever for consumer spending on video games. And you know like the business just in general then like that's a pretty good year. But uh because of everything that people did in the last few years during the pandemic we have the horrible headlines now. And, and you talk about the headlines being bad in the year to come, 2024 at the very least. And I think the consumer spending headlines, um, I, I don't expect 2024 to be as good as this year, partly because of the, the software lineup we had was exceptional and partly because, you know, when will a Switch successor come out? No Grand Theft Auto 6 to... To drive sales like I, I and and mobile is still sort of there are some questions there about the direction that's heading and that's a huge influence on the on the overall spend so like I but you know I I would hope at least that like the layoffs and the the carnage around the industry this year have been sufficient for for companies to uh weather the storm like they were done and they were they were deep cuts specifically because companies didn't want to be coming back and doing this again a few months later unless you were embracer in which case this is just your way of life now yeah no i i think we might uh, particularly from the bigger companies be um fewer layoffs but i agree i think next year and it's difficult it's, well no it's not a prediction podcast james would chail us off for um uh, deviating but i think next year first half the comps are not going to be good um the lineup isn't as strong um, you're not going to have suddenly PS5 back on sale for the first time for two years. You're not going to have that kind of benefit. But the second half of the year might have a stronger Christmas. This year's Christmas wasn't particularly strong. Um, and, you know, the Switch too. So I think it might be a tale of two years, two halves next year. Hopefully um, it's not just going to be a, a difficult year or full 12 months. But yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Certainly the first half is going to make for difficult comparisons with uh, 2023. See now you've got me thinking about next year. Like I'm, I'm going to break my own rule and start doing predictions because I'm like, no, just kind of backing up what um, what you guys have been saying. Like Brendan, you mentioned about um, or someone mentioned about supporting each other. Like the 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 issue I think we're going to see is the industry isn't in a position to support itself um, in the same way because, as Chris said, like the the money's not there in terms of the investment money. I think Chris is right in that the hopefully the bigger companies are largely finished with the layoffs and the cuts and everything you know that this year's correction horrible word this year's um 
you know, restructuring and downsizing should be enough, hopefully, to get the bigger players through the next year. But it's the impact that those bigger players have on the smaller players. Um, anecdotally, I know for a, a fact a studio was um, talking to a much, much larger player, a, you know, one of the biggest players in the industry, and was unable to secure the investment it needed to you know, sustain itself for the next three, four years because that company has decided to pause all investment until you know mid twenty twenty four at the earliest. The more com- and, and and it's not the only company doing that. The more companies you have doing that, the more impact we're gonna see on the smaller companies that need that investment, that need that injection of capital and finance to continue and and you know it becomes it goes beyond looking forward to growing to you know towards twenty thirty and more about surviving until twenty twenty five. Um and I think that, yeah, like, as much as that's a, a prediction or a lot of that's at least looking forward, I think that is a direct impact from this year and the economic uncertainty that's grown this year is going to le- you know, is going to continue into next year. And I think that's going to affect a lot more of the smaller players. Hopefully we won't see as many you know, re- job cuts and you know, redundancies at the larger players, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing studio closures. We've not really had one. You know, it's the, it's, I know we've had volition and there's been a few, but normally, you know, around these sort of big moments of industry change, you do see a couple of big, big players sort of fall in THQ and Midway. I remember the last, last one in particular. Yeah. But we've not really, we've had a few um, studios like volition have actually been struggling for quite a long time, sort of, sort of closed, but we've not really had a, a really big fall and i don't know maybe you maybe we won't this time because the businesses are bigger they're built on more sustainable grounds and um uh the book business model for games isn't quite so you know um uh based on you know it's not quite the hit driven industry it used to be but it, it's um we've not had one of those thankfully um yet um to sort of characterize this sort of period just uh, a lot of consolidation and, and sort of but maybe you know but also we're in a period of you know, if some of the big players like Microsoft start opening their, I know Microsoft just spent <laughs> seen that money, but with these sort of companies that are sort of provoking, uh, encouraging this consolidation, there might be a, uh, we might see a lot of some of these studios that are struggling find new um, homes and that consolidation will continue. But again, we're moving into prediction territory. So re- regarding the job job cuts, um, I don't necessarily think I have a, I've been looking at it differently than anyone else on the team. But um, what I think about often, because uh, I, I work on the jobs roundup and I always, I'm always looking at these uh, people's careers, you know, what new position. I understand like that is just a very small snapshot because we're talking about a lot of people in a giant industry. Like I'll probably never see <laughs> a fifth of their faces, but you know, I, I'm taking a, a look at this story or this person or whatever, and I'm updating that or I'm writing um, a, a story pertaining to someone's new appointment. And, and, and I always think about, you know, whom has had, you know, the kind of career where it says like over 10 years or 15 or whatever it is, you know. And I think about that uh, a lot of times throughout the year as I've been updating, I think it was like, man, it's like, the kind of individuals, and, and granted, yes, you could say the economy was different at the time, what have you, and all that, yada, yada. But the 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 thing I always thought about was, okay, but how many people are going to be like, you know, <laughs> white guy number 100 I'm talking about on here that has a long 
storied career in a games industry. Not a lot of people. Because the the other thing I've been thinking about while that and seeing all these stories is that, and I would love, I don't know if we'll, we'll get a report like this. Maybe we will. Who knows? I don't know how in-depth it will be. But like, you know, just the demographics of all these people who have been losing jobs. We probably might not get that. But we're, whatever the numbers that I, I professionally think is probably close to like 10,000 people who lost their jobs. And yeah, the economy and all that stuff, yada, 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 that's all great. But I really want to know what were the demographics of these people who lost their jobs? Because the thing I think about is like the last person into the last person through the door is the first one out. And that tends to be because the industry has gotten better about that recently is people from overlooked communities, women, folks of color, what have you. And I really think about I don't want to use the word progress. That gets thrown around a lot. And I'm, I, but that's a whole nother conversation. I'm not going to get into that about quote unquote progress in this industry. But I just keep constantly thinking about the people who were, who were working where they're working. Now they're gone. How many of them will be able to bounce back or even want to be, to get back? And I still think the average career, if I'm not mistaken, is the length of one development cycle of a game, which hovers around, I'm just, I, I think that's five, six years, something. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have that correct. But that's what I honestly think about with, with all these job cuts. It's like, yeah, it's bad, but you know, I really think about, it's not cheap where these people live, where these development studios at, by any stretch of imagination. You know, my rent is bad out here, their rent's much worse you know, getting cut between the holidays. And I know this sounds depressing, whatever, but being as a realist, and as Chris said, within this capitalistic society, when these choices are made, you know, who's left? Who who even wants to go through this again? You know, and of course, some people are already used to this because that's just the name of the, the, the game, pun intended. You know, I, I, I just constantly think about them. You know, who who doesn't want to go through this more? And honestly, I can't blame people for saying, well, I don't want to deal with this again and I'm going to go to a different industry. And I have seen that sentiment floating out there. So, you know, that's what I, I constantly think about. Yeah. It's been, it's taken years for us to get, like, not us, but like, it's taken years for companies to realize that they should be considering diversity and inclusivity in the hiring process. And I still don't think it's as like natural and instinctive for them to think along that axis when they are then firing people, when they are conducting mass layoffs to think about the composition of their, their team and, and who is bearing the brunt of those cuts. So yeah, you're, I think you're absolutely right to be very concerned about that, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, it's it's it, they they it, the way it's supposed to work. Obviously, is, is is they don't they're not you know it's that you're right. It's that first in you know the companies that do the first in last out, and you've seen a lot of studios sort of proactively go to universities and education to try and bring more diverse um, voices through to the games industry. And that's been, you know, it's been a growing thing for like the last decade, but it's been particularly growing in the last few years. And there is that, there is that concern. Um, oh, I, there is an argument to be made, and it's a different conversation for different podcasts, maybe around the fact that maybe the industry shouldn't, employment in the industry shouldn't work like this. If you look at some of our other entertainment industries, um, most people are contractors and freelancers and 
unionized and, and it works that way. Whereas in the games industry, we're still heavily a, a full-time employed based um, business. Um, there's not, the games industry is not the same as the movie industry, obviously, for so many reasons, but you've got these contract groups, these, these business like keywords that just have contract staff and they, and they contract them out to different studios to work on various projects. And there is a, there's a school of thought to say that, you know, maybe the industry should move towards that. It might create a slightly more, put people in a bit more control of their, of their careers. Although uh, it sounds very stressful to me, <laughs> but, um, but there's a, there's a, there's a train of thought around that. Um, but um, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> At the risk of us taking this away then from, layoffs and uh, the downsizing because undoubtedly that has been the biggest trend of the year the biggest story like certainly i don't remember running this many layoff stories in so short amount of time i think it's the sheer volume of them um that has been the concern what would we say like the other kind of biggest events of 2023 the things that when we look back will define this year um feel like the unity runtime fee at the risk of going on about that feels like a moment for unity like maybe it's still just the the lingering anger at how they propose to deal with this but i do wonder like you know, I've, even, I've still seen headlines like now you know two three months later from you know long-running developers saying why they're never using unity again like unity is one of the two biggest engines in the in the industry and i think we, we we talked about this like around the you know the time of the unity runtime fee for me the runtime fee highlighted the issue where the industry has gotten to a place where it is somewhat reliant on two engines um it is largely reliant on unity and unreal and due to the very nature of of business and, and licensing out your tech those companies could potentially do literally anything they choose to to change the terms of, of you within legal reason to change the terms of how you use your tech and what you are paying for. I don't know if, if that was a big enough incident to shift us away from that. I know, you know, some of the other engines like Godot got a bit more pickup, but I think, you know, both, both looking at this year and then looking forward, um, what do we think about kind of the, the, the state the industry has gotten into with the state of these two engines and particularly unity and like the trust it's broken this year. It's bad. I think it's bad. Yep. yep. Yeah. You think uh, it's bad. Thank you for summing that up so succinctly. <clears throat> yeah. It's it's really uh, concerning because is this is what happens um, when you know you you have so much of the industry reliant on just one or two players and and I think there are a lot of people out there that will take a look at what unity did here trying to change the terms of the deal long after the fact and then charge people forever when you know that was not the way that they understood the the agreement to be when they entered it and a lot of developers will see that and and they'll stay clear of unity going forward because they recognize like that is a dangerous place to be um, I, I don't want to be dealing with, with a company that would do that. And I also think most people don't work like that. I think most people would look at what Unity actually, what the runtime fee wound up being, and they would say, okay, well, that's not great, but it's manageable. And I know Unity, 
my team knows Unity. We've shipped games with it. It's it would be such a pain to switch right now that they they don't want to like go through that difficulty, those switching costs um, for anything less. You know, they don't want to do it on a matter of principle. They'll do it if they are forced to from a matter of finances. Like we just cannot afford to pay what Unity is requiring us to pay. But they won't they won't switch on a on a matter of principle. So I think Unity hurt itself by doing this. But I I don't think it's a fatal wound, that shotgun blast to the foot. I, I, I think that it's it's something that, you know, a certain amount of, of the developer population... Because, like, how many people are still using Windows, right? Like, how many people start up their computer and then struggle to find the little thing that says, you know, don't upgrade to Windows 11 right now, or no, I don't want to do exactly the thing that you want to me to do Windows, or deal with, like, the ads everywhere and worming their way into different like windows doesn't get better it just it just seems to get worse with every update but we so many of us me included put up with it because the switching costs of the literal costs of going to mac are up there um the the user unfriendliness of linux is is intimidating and they just don't seem to have an option so you kind of you know you suck it up and you stick around I think Unity might have to. Um, Unity are obviously going to have to try and um, be very uh, work very hard to regain some trust. But yeah, I, don't, I, I think I don't think it's going to have any lasting. It reminded me a little bit of when EA threatened to put loot boxes into um, uh, Battlefront, and they didn't actually do that in the end. But that sort of that that lingered, right? That that sort of reputation with gamers, that sort of you know that lingered for uh, a good while um even though ea still... i think it was battlefront 2 and i think they did put them in they put it in as a but test, they they took in the test and then they went and everyone reacted so badly to it it was in like the beta or something and um that they didn't actually introduce it in the end but it, it, it has to be it has the thing it has that re- perception that they did this and um so i do think they're gonna have it's, it's definitely a reputational damage um but i i I still think people will just keep using Unity. It's it's a simple thing. To, it's easy to use. There's not many other options out there. It reminds me a little bit like Steam. You know, the the features in Unity are are, are leaps ahead of most of its competitors. Um, but I, I there will be a few. I suspect perhaps the bigger ones that are perhaps look, moving over to Unreal it might have benefited Epic a little bit. Um, I think actually, you know, I don't think it's going to have quite the long term. I don't think we'll look at it as a. I think we'll look at it as a. As a as a negative moment, a Wikipedia point in it, but nothing that will that will fundamentally change the direction of things. I think, yeah, yeah, I, that's my feeling with it. It was, it was, yeah. I mean, what, what, it's significant because it did mark the end of John Riccatello's tenure at Unity, and he he absolutely changed the company from the indie development tool, you know cool friendly thing that it used to be presented as to a a more ruthless business that was more focused on the you know monetization of of games and and everything surrounding that just putting pixels on the screen and getting them to move the way you want part of the engine 
it has it has been the end. He's gone now. It has been the end of those. But I don't. Yeah. I was going to say it, that's one thing. Perhaps twenty twenty three has been an end of those sort of industry villains uh, that we <laughs> the JR John um, Bobby Kotick. Um, even E three was the industry villain for a while. Um, so there's that sort of bit of a, a complete. I don't know why I even not really a, not really to do with Unity, but there is an element of. Um, everyone's sort of favorite uh, uh boogeyman um is um <clears throat> uh, moved on well not everyone's <laughs> but uh, uh i'm not sure the point i'm making i'm gonna shut up well you know I've, I've seen enough horror movies to know that they come back they come back yeah <laughs> um, yeah but like the, the so even though riccatello is gone like i think unity is still more or less continuing in the direction that he said it um they they might be doing a little bit they might focus a little more going forward but i mean they're they're definitely not going back to what they were and and i think a lot of the decisions going forward will will you know not be terribly different from what riccatello would have done so like the, this the company shifted so fundamentally uh from what it used to be like it it has its vision now it's it's the same vision Riccatello had for it, and it's just going to be someone else carrying that forward. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, prior to them merging with Iron Source. Uh, I, I even remember whenever the story about him uh, exiting, he was very much about Unity expanding its uh, business model and operations, and they did that. And I, I think we ran a story. One of us did, or, or maybe I did, I forget, honestly. Um, I, I think Unity has a, a contract with the, the Department of Defense, if I'm not mistaken, as one of its... Right? So... Yeah, it's, a, it's basically a military contractor right. now. It, right up there with Blackwater. Uh, so to Brendan's point, uh, <laughs> I do not see that that going away because that's been making them money and i believe the revenue from gaming um it, it's not it doesn't account for most of their their revenue so you know again going back to the point at hand why why would they go back to what they were that whole unity thing was a mess i'm sorry i remember specifically <laughs> that developers were up in ours because we're, we're, we're talking about mostly like the working like working class developers who were like I can't do this while working this other job and keeping my lights on while also trying to keep it so I remember seeing that very vocally for however long that was going on I, I remember that specifically it was like a flashpoint of like oh okay like the folks that it would hit the hardest were very vocal about that online. I remember that specifically about that. And I remember sitting back and thinking, you know, the times where stories or, or you know, things happen that, that, that hit a certain, like, you know, population, you're definitely going to know about it. That's what I remember specifically about the Unity thing. Yeah, what got me was they weren't even, they weren't even like the target of the policy like I, I i think the the policy was really about chasing whales basically they they wanted pokemon go to give them 
a few pennies every time someone installed it. They wanted a free-to-play game that was that massive, you know, that, something that relies on hundreds of millions of installs. Genshin Impact. Yeah. And, and, and in going after trying to get a little bit more money from those companies, they just didn't care about all of the the small developers for for whom it could you know make a much bigger difference in their in their business and their ability to to actually be game developers for a living and that's you know that's another like frustrating part just giant beasts doing giant beast things the the kaiju wandering through the city and and so much collateral damage from them that's completely irrelevant to the the big brouhaha they're having with mothra or whatever <laughs> i don't know who's mothra in this situation <laughs> another story that um while we're talking about kind of um unity and developers and so forth kind of my, my mind started wandering towards the mobile space we've had a few kind of developments in the mobile space that not necessarily not necessarily become defining moments of 2023 but certainly advanced towards defining moments so i'm thinking of two um one is we've had the epic versus google antitrust case over the last couple of weeks we're expecting the the verdict um next week um not that i imagine either epic or google will accept that it will go to appeal as the epic versus apple one has done and this will go on for years but it's the continued conversation of opening up ecosystems to those larger players in games that want to start up their own app stores. We also had them, I believe, the passing of the Digital Markets Act in uh, the European Union. Now, this comes into f effect fully next year, I believe, which means and that will force Apple to open up iOS to third party app stores, at least in Europe. So we're seeing some changes in the, the mobile space. Again, we're dangerously close to kind of prediction territory here, but thoughts on on how these are changing how the mobile games landscape, you know, just uh, is structured because you know Microsoft is is openly saying that it wants to open an, uh, some form of mobile store. Epic has been very clear on this of opening up some form of mobile game store. Um, you know the the mobile spaces are undeniably ruled by two app stores as much as there are a billion and one third party marketplaces on android google play is the one that is the the most dominant as epic has been arguing in court it's the one that it's so dominant it's perhaps and it, it, they they would argue it's economically unviable to release your game on other app stores as well or at least to focus on other app stores and not on google play we're seeing the start of change that might lead to an evening out of the playing field perhaps i was just i was intrigued by the team's thoughts on this i think we're stuck with it i <laughs> I, I i think the app store and google play are just entrenched mm -hmm. and getting rid of them evening the playing field as you say right now would would just be such a monumental expense like if you look at epic and what they have thrown at the effort to to carve out some of steam's business um i i it just seems like you would need government intervention to you know mandate that phones ship with google play as well as this or that competitor mm. 
multiple options as the store not have a default one set for the user beforehand like yeah i'm i i don't i don't expect um i don't expect a a ruling to complete oh, that's prediction territory but yeah this this doesn't this feels like a lot of people recognizing that hey there are some not great things that happen when there are only two companies in control of everything and um it's the sort of realization that would have been great to have 10 12 years ago 15 years ago but at this point i'm not i'm not sure what what realistically uh we can expect to happen yeah to to brendan's point it those two stores are so entrenched. It's, I, I can't even imagine why you would try to spend the capital to not you know, because um, I think uh, I, I, I think we ran a story about um, perhaps Microsoft, I believe, was trying to uh, create a a mobile platform or a store of some kind. Um, but I think even then, why why do that now? Like, honestly, uh, <laughs> professionally speaking, why would you do that? I don't know. I, I would say just follow, like, you know, in that case, just follow Netflix's example and be a publisher on these platforms versus trying to do something yourself. Um, even opening up, you know, third-party support in Europe for the Apple store, for example, I'm sure that's going to offer more choices. But again, I just don't see other stores popping up. It, like like Chris said, it's like the whole Steam thing. Sure, but let, let's be real here. <laughs> let's be real. So, like, Microsoft threw so much money at, like, Windows Phone. You know, like like trying to to carve out its foothold that way, and 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 if it's gonna try again now, just with a storefront instead of with hardware, like having Candy Crush and Call of Duty Mobile like exclusive to the Windows alternative app store on these on these platforms would be something, but I like it's it's not. It's not comparable to like everyone that buys a phone in so many of the major markets has that option, you know, that Google Play or that Apple App Store pre-installed. So it, it just I don't I, I, I don't I don't see Microsoft having much more luck here. I, I think it's it sounds like another thing that they would love um, because it would, you know, be great for them to. Like they see someone else's uh, anti-competitive business and they're like, hey, I want that for me. Um, so I understand why they want it. But no, I don't I, I, I don't think that their chances of getting it are are good enough to justify really going for it. Another topic that's been a regular trend this week, this year, or certainly uh, grabbed quite a few headlines, is AI. Um, it became very kind of AI has been running for years. Like you know, the sort of AI technologies we're seeing have been available for a good few years, but it really kind of popularized towards the start of this year. Um, 
but yeah, that's when you start to see a lot more kind of chat GPT and mid journey um, stuff coming out. I think the the way that AI is used in games development is still up in the air. It's still not clear. There are some people who are trying certain things, um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's an odd one. This I think this is going to be an ongoing discussion as well, like the use of AI in games development, certainly in in games. Yeah, it's being used in moderation as well. I, my my thoughts on AI is still I think it's a very interesting tool. I think it can potentially be used in ways that do help developers, particularly smaller developers who don't have the time and resources. So things like rapid prototype, rapid prototyping, rapid um, ideation, stuff like that to kind of speed up the process of getting to the point where you then make the game, providing that game is still made by human beings. Um, I think the temptation to use AI to automate some of the process is uh, interesting, but I think it's something that the industry should hold back on a bit personally. Um, but that, that said, I know that some companies aren't. I mean, you know, going back to Unity again, Unity have, have uh, announced a ton of AI tools that are coming out into, you know, are being added to Unity next year, including one that lets you kind of create character animations and, uh, you know, character interactions with AI without the need for programming. The concern has been whether or not this will impact the jobs uh, landscape, you know, whether or not you know, people's jobs will be replaced by AI. I don't think we have a strong enough answer for that either way, but I can see why the concerns remain. Um, yeah, team, thoughts on AI's role in, kind of in games in, in, you know, as we approach the end of 2023? So when, when Microsoft and InWorld uh, announced their multi-year partnership, uh, to create AI game, um, game dev tools. I specifically remember uh, after the announcement, I saw a lot of people <laughs> were not too jazzed about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because not, not funny, you know, haha, just funny, interesting, because there's still that apprehension. I was like, what does this necessarily mean for my job? And that, that's understandable um, because outside of games, I've also tried to keep up with or just just be familiar with like the bad things AI has done throughout the year. And a lot of it is not good. Um, but uh, specifically with gaming, it's still a lot of apprehension. Like, what does this mean about my job? Who's going to keep a job? You know, will this open doors? Will this close doors? And... While Microsoft's announcers say, hey, this is a positive. I saw people, you know, provide, well, if these tools are doing this for people like myself who are trying to get into the industry, who are trying to, like, have a long career in this industry, well, what happened with my job in the future? You know, there's worries about that. And it's funny because last week I remember uh, reporting uh, that story about how the latest Naruto game maybe allegedly didn't use AI regarding, you know, voice work and Bando and Napka said, well, no, that that's not the case. And earlier that same week, uh, Genvid also had to say the same thing regarding, you know, their, their narrative writing. And it's funny from, from my standpoint as a reporter, are we going to get more stories about that? Oopsie. No, we, we totally didn't use AI. When you can quite frankly just be upfront about it and release these statements and try to patch things to not look bad. Um, 
but I, I, I honestly don't know what it means for jobs. See, I'm... Oh, go ahead, sorry. See, I'm concerned, like, at the risk of... No, I'm going to build on what you were saying there. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely concerned about like, what it means for jobs, and we don't think we'll fully know that for a good few years, but I am mildly concerned about the um, things like the Neruso and uh, Genvid's Silent Hill Ascension uh, stories there. Developers defending themselves saying, no, we didn't use AIs. You know, we didn't use AI. This has all been created by humans. Whether or not they're telling the truth, I can't tell you. I can only tell you what they have, they have said. I can tell you, I saw some of the clips from that Silent Hill Ascension, and that writing is pretty bad and doesn't quite make sense. So the, the prime example that I saw doing the rounds was uh, a couple of characters are investigating something in the dark woods. An NPC comes out of nowhere in the, you know, in the fog. They ask him, have you seen anything strange? And he goes on about how he was out there hunting berries, making jams. And he saw something strange, something so strange he isn't sure what to make of it. And now he's going back to making uh, jams and hunting for berries. And yeah, I can see why people look at that and think that has not been written by a human being. That is, that's just too, disconcerted, uh, too disconnected. My concern is the precedent it sets there is anytime there's writing that is not up to people's standards um, or, or people's expectations, are people going to roll out the... Well, it's done by an AI, you know, accusation. Like, yes, I basically, yes, I don't. They are. Well, yes, yeah, that's yes, they are. And I basically don't want to say like, writing for games is hard. Writing, writing anything is hard, but writing for games is particularly hard. And I don't want to say it's going to be incredibly deterring if any time I'm not, you know, I'm not saying bad writing is excusable in games. I'm not. There's always room for improvement. You should always be putting out the best writing you possibly can. But equally, not every game is going to be written to the standards of, insert your favourite written game here. Like, I, what I don't want to see is AI being used as kind of the way to blame, yeah, to, to make developers feel bad about their creative efforts because developers do work hard on their games. Developers do work hard on their writing. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I don't want, I, I suspect we're going to start seeing a lot of this is awful. It's made by AI. And just that is basically, basically insulting developers as if developers don't get enough insults from players. Now there is another way in which they can be insulted. And I'm not, I'm not overly happy about that. Bad writing can also be like a technical bug, right? So like in the hmm. example you use, um, I think that game is is supposed to have some sort of procedural element to make these encounters unique or different or fresh or whatever. And yeah. if they are cutting up that information that they convey to you, there might be you know some some glitch here where like oh the 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 voice clip about explaining what he saw that was so weird that had him freaked out may have just been lost. Like it played the wrong clip or it skipped over it right to the end or, you know, a million different things happen with games and, and the more complicated the, the game and any kind of dialogue system like that is the more problem that's going to be. And what bugs me about AI is that like it, it, it just kind of opens up this, you know new new area of accusation that you can level against a game for whatever reason that you don't particularly like it you know it used to be things could just break and then it's like oh that's broken that's that's funny that's weird now it's it's there's this like 
sinister uh, ulterior motive that could be ascribed to things. And it's really unfortunate that it happened this year of all years when layoffs are everywhere throughout the industry. Companies are uh, looking to cut development costs everywhere they can. Uh, everyone is afraid of their jobs. And and then you've actually just got some, you know, outright ghouls out there that are like, you know what, we're going to fire everyone and then we're going to try and hire an A editor to, to just do all the work that those people were doing, like an overt labor replacement use of AI. So everyone's kind of on, you know, on alert about this stuff anyways. So, like, I, I, I just think that the, the this is AI accusations are going to be... Um, they'll be valid with some games i guess I'm, I'm assuming there's some games out there that are relying on this and being really cruddy about that but i think there's also going to be a lot of collateral damage a lot of you know innocent for lack of a better word studios that are just having to put up with you know toxic fandom um because of you know they disappointed someone or because the the game doesn't work the way they want it to and and it's it's frustrating for me like the earlier this year the the ftc said that you know ai isn't a thing it's a marketing term and it is and we've had ai in the games industry for years machine learning we haven't really had like the chat gpt sort of treatment the large language model of ai but a lot of the stuff that that you see in games is is aided by basically ai you know the 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 routes that npcs take in their cars through watchdogs or something open worlds those those are machine learning aided from just having you know running a million billion simulations where they kind of send ai drivers through the environment and see like okay well, what actually works you know which which what routes should they be taking to get to their destination in a reasonable time without too much havoc? And and there have been approaches like that for years and and they work just fine. There there are useful ways to implement AI in game development. I'm sure of it. But this next big thing, uh hype that it that it has received, this promise to to take away all the actual, you know, hard parts of game development or to replace uh you know laborers uh workers is is just it, it reminds me so much of so many other next big things we've seen in the industry and one of them mobile games the iphone that paid off that was the game changer and everyone has been going just around the bend trying to find the next one of those ever since like stereoscopic 3d uh google glass and wearables ar vr esports had a had a brief time in the in the sun blockchain like it's just here's a place where we can invest all our moonshot money hoping to get a massive return on investment and become the next you know iphone uh, and even micro consoles you know, we ran we ran an editorial after Ouya was announced, and and it said like Ouya's next iPhone, and the lead was about how 
on whatever day it was that they announced it, a freight train plowed into the games industry, changing everything forever. And it's it's nonsense. It's almost always nonsense. Some of this stuff is is useful. VR is a thing. Esports are a thing. They are places where you can build an actual business. But they're not they're they're not this, you know, it's gonna fundamentally change the way people interact with the world slash make us trillionaires kind of kind of thing and and ai is ai is is squarely in that um well i hope it is squarely in that in that area because if it actually does become widely implemented everywhere in the way that we're seeing right now with chat gpt and generative ai then our world is just going to be this really gross homogenized mush of nonsense content and 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 i'm not going to be happy with that but uh yeah it's i'm I'm skeptical it's a bad thing to be happening this year of all years though is my main point well, in terms of concerns of uh, content, one thing that is not uh, that you cannot deny is the content of games has been amazing this week, uh, this year. I kind of want to finish on a slightly more upbeat note. There, are, that is not to dismiss all of the things we've just spent the past hour discussing, but I think it's worth worth highlighting that yeah, we've had a really good year in terms of the quality of games that have come out. Axios did that study where this has been the year where there's been the most games on Metacritic rated 90 or above since Metacritic began tracking. You've had Zelda, Hogwarts Legacy, uh, Diablo 4, Baldur's Gate 3, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, like so many amazing games. And again, that's not even close to all of them. I, without going to too many specifics, because next week we'll be doing our Game of the Year uh, episode, where we'll be talking about our favourite games from the past 12 months. I'd kind of just like to get the team's general thoughts on yeah, the general the the release slate this year. Like I, I listen to a lot of other games podcasts, and I keep hearing the discussion of you know is twenty twenty three going to be one of the best years ever for games, comparing it to like you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight, or you know games where just amazing stuff came out. It feels like a good year. I think you know it's benefited primarily from the number of titles that were delayed over the last few years due partly you know due in part to the pandemic. The amount of games that have come out. The, you know, the games that were delayed all just happened to have come out this year but I think overall the release date has been impressive and I'm tr- intrigued to get the team's thoughts it's been a good year um, I don't I don't know about how well it will hold up in retrospect uh, just because I think um, like Spider-Man 2 and Zelda Tears of the Kingdom they are acclaimed sequels which are great but i don't think they're going to be remembered the way breath of the wild was or the way the original spider-man was even just because they're they're not something new you know even if they had lots of new elements that were really cool Um, baldur's gate had been in early access for years it was it's a great game by all accounts but and and then starfield starfield was something new starfield could have been the kind of thing that would have this uh year looked at as you know as historically like wow such a great thing but i don't think that it has been as 
uh, well received as as something uh, as you would expect for something that you know is going to be a linchpin of a of a dynamite year. Um, if you look at the other years that people cite as being like, oh wow, that was a that was a great year. A lot of it is is you know like hey these are games that were even if they were sequels they were like such a dramatic step up from what was what came before like what 1998 is the one i always hear and i think the big things then were what final fantasy 7 and metal gear solid is that right and that's yep. that's and not two... forgetting not forgetting ocarina of time okay there you go three <laughs> established franchises but complete reinventions of them that were like here yeah. is starting a new era of this franchise and what we have now this year is like i don't know i i don't think it's it's a great year sure but i i don't think it's like going to to age as well as some people do i mean no, that's fair. That's fair. Having IPs goes a long way. <laughs> if this year has, you know, been any indication, because yeah. um, while I, I, you know, you have Spider Man two, you've had Zelda, and again, e- even though a lot of people say, "Hey, you know, we want new things," is is just like I'm always like, "Do you?" and then. You know, here these sales go based on these properties. I'm like, yeah, that that that's the game, right? Um, it it's always funny too. No, that's true. I mean, like the first the first real big smash hit of the year was Hogwarts Legacy, and obviously that's based on a yeah. fairly big IP. Yeah. I, I I specifically remember um, listening to the investors' phone call where. Um, they well were uh Zaslav, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry if I miss <laughs> I didn't say that correctly. But anyway, he he just casually mentioned how much that game sold throughout the year, and you know, obviously there's a lot of right rightful criticism regarding that IP and the views of its creator, but like when you sit back and think, wow, that that sold a lot, and yet you don't really see it talked about. You know, considering that it's like, even though something may not be spoken about, like regularly for for reasons within pop culture, um, it can quite literally be sell a lot. But again, IPs, you know, you can take them, you can do things with them. Who knew? Turns out people like them. I'll wrap us up there because uh, we're going a little over time and uh, we've all got work to be doing and we will be back. We can discuss games in more length on our next episode. So we're going to be back next Monday with the Game of the Year show in which the whole team, or at least as much of the team as we can cram into a Discord channel, uh, will be talking about our favourite games of the year. Uh, we're also going to be publishing as of Monday next week, uh, so actually the day that this comes out. We're going to be start publishing our Games of the Year pieces, so each of us is writing an article about our favourite game of uh, 2023. In the meantime, you can find all previous episodes of this podcast and the microcast on the podcasting platform of your choice, and you can find more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz.